Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for coming to being here. I'm really excited. It's whatever. It's episode 395. We have five left till we hit 400. And Jason was in probably the first 100 for sure. Maybe even the first 50. So I'm really excited to have Jason back. Jason is a designer that I see regularly in Communication Arts magazine, right? No plug for Communication Arts, but I do love the magazine. Um, I didn't bring the one. I remember seeing it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Jason Johnson. But I remember way long time ago, uh, back almost 10 years or nine years or something, Jason was on. And he was it was in Arizona at the time. And he was talking about um, some of the agencies, what he was doing. He's always done really cool, thoughtful, thought provoking design, really cool design. So I'm really excited to have him on. He's changed. He went to the other side as Amy, Amy's here. She works in house and she probably, you and Amy would have a good, good conversations. Not that because it, it wasn't as, it wasn't what you expected by going in house. And I think Amy was very similar. She um, has had an incredible amount of fun doing the work she's doing. So, so Amy's like, yay in house. So but Jason, give them for anybody who what didn't see the the last episode, give them a little bit of your background. You do have a heart for students and you did some stuff with AIGA and helping the students get ready and working. But can you give them a little bit of your background? Yeah, for sure. Uh, good to be back on. I was actually trying to think of the last time we spoke, and I think it's probably been nine, eight, nine years, something like that. Well, we've Which spoken was, in between. We yeah, just haven't been show. recorded. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So the last time on the show, yeah, it was it was a while ago. So yeah, kind of a brief background. I I went to grad school at Boston U. My my program was focused on advertising, and my emphasis was in art direction. So my career goal at that point was really to go um, kind of big ad agency. You know, one of the Shia Days, um, BBDOs, that kind of thing, and had a really good program, learned a lot, was able to intern at some some really cool shops in Boston, uh, one that I'm sad that's no longer around called Modernista, and at the time, they were doing all the really cool work for Cadillac and Hummer, and they were just killing it and were amazing. So that was kind of my career path that I thought, and then I graduated, and the the ad scene in Boston was kind of terrible at the time because Arnold had lost the Volkswagen account, uh, which, you know, Arnold was the largest agency there and they employed a lot of people. So all those people were kind of filling in any other jobs. So as a student to, to get a job in Boston at the time was pretty much impossible. So I kind of opened my search to anywhere and really in grad school, I had been told by all the professors that, you really need to go for the opportunity where you can grow your portfolio starting out. You know, it's not about really, I mean, getting paid is nice, but they said, you know, you could go somewhere and get paid well and not do work that you're inspired by. And so that was kind of just the goal was to find a place where I could do good work. And I, I lucked out being able to go down to Charleston, South Carolina to a really sort of small boutique shop called Hook. And they're still there, still doing really cool work and still a really small, like nimble shop. And when I went down there, I, I think I was the first employee, creative employee that they had hired outside of the founders, which was, you know, 
an art director, a copywriter, and then basically an account person. And so I kind of came into this, this family of people and immediately just had to wear a lot of different hats and got to learn from, from some really kind of senior level people and had to jump into everything. So that included a lot of design and branding, which I hadn't really done previously. You know, grad school, we didn't focus on really almost any of that. It was more conceptual, like campaigns, guerrilla marketing, you know, out of home, uh, broadcast, all that kind of stuff. So I got to kind of learn just uh, on the fly on the job and had a really good time there. Uh, Charleston is just full of really talented, creative people. And I see them, you know, their work all the time in, in all the publications, you know, com arts, print, wherever you find it. And so I stayed there for a number of years and continued to kind of just learn from them and grow. And then ended up going to uh, the Phoenix area because we had family out there. So we made the, the jump to the desert from the beautiful coastline. And uh, that was a kind of a harsh change, at least geographically for a little bit. But the creative scene in, in Phoenix was really good. And I got to go to another sort of small agency and very similar to Hook in that they would take on all types of different projects. So we could be doing branding, we could be doing collateral, uh, web design. We we did kind of a little bit of everything. And that agency was called Tunnel Bravo. And they were really great because, again, the founders were, were both exceptionally talented, but they had a real hands-on approach to everything. And so a lot of the projects that we would do, partly just because of budget and lack of uh, means to do it otherwise, we would just do it ourselves. So kind of by just chance, we sort of started to getting into a lot of restaurant branding and and then we ended up, oh, hey, we're going to go paint murals on the sides of walls in Phoenix and do that kind of thing. And so we sort of just learned again, like on the fly, how to do that stuff. Uh, that became a little bit of like our kind of like our niche that we had. And that was a lot of fun. That led us to doing projects, um, you know, up in Vancouver. We talked about Canada. So we were up doing a project up there, projects all over in Texas, uh, all over in Arizona. Uh, we actually did some projects for even Yum Brands uh, at the time, which if you know, that's like they own KFC and a whole bunch of other companies. And so they had approached us uh, based on work they saw online. And so anyway, we just had a great time. Like we were moving along. Uh, things were going well. And, and then I ended up working for another couple of agencies in the Phoenix area um, post Tunnel Bravo uh, that were really kind of similar in the same way. One of them was a little bit larger and uh, wasn't exactly sort of like the right fit for me, but was a good learning experience. And then I ended up at a place called Kitchen Sink Studios for a year, uh, very similar kind of work, really creative, really hands-on, surrounded by an amazing creative director and and just a lot of really talented people. So but a lot of these were smaller, right? They, these were smaller teams. You would do yeah, real small teams. So but yeah, in fact, it, uh, like we said at hook and tunnel Bravo, I mean, the, the total number of people that worked there was like six, five or six. Right. And that includes like account that includes, uh, we had like a production manager. So on the actual creative team, you basically had, uh, three of us and there was an art director, I was the junior art director and then we had a, a senior copywriter. So yeah, it was just kind of like you do a little bit of everything all the time, which is it. And sometimes we would bring in outside help, you know, if we needed something specific, but usually it was just you guys, you know, you figure out how to make it work and do it. So, 
So going, so then, and you never really thought you would go in-house going and tell them where you are now. And what yeah, you're doing. So um, now I'm, I'm actually in-house for a tech company called Qualtrics and um, Qualtrics basically is a, a software provider and we, we focus on experience management. And I know a lot of people think like, I don't, I don't know what that means. What's experience management? My mom won't know what that means. So tell her. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know what that means, but essentially what we do is we, we provide software to companies so that they can listen to what their consumers or their employees are, are saying about the company. And so essentially, if you kind of break it down to its simplest form, they listen to what people are saying, then they process and understand what, what is being said, what the experience is, whether it's good or bad or otherwise. And then, then they'll act on that feedback that they get. So, you know, and we, we help all kinds of brands, everything from like Porsche to JetBlue to Under Armour to American Express, Coke. I mean, you name it, like all these companies, they have to, they have to know, obviously, what their consumers think. But then nowadays, it's even more important too, especially more recently with what employees think and like how they view their company, how they view their work environment. Since the work environment has changed uh, pretty much 180 since, you know, what, 18 months ago. I mean, I haven't worked in a physical office in almost two years. So it's, uh, it's very different than ever I imagined it would be. But essentially, that's what we provide uh, as a company. So what we try to do is just help brands to get rid of what we call experience gaps. And so an experience gap is, is you know, obviously, if you were to take a flight and what you would what you think is going to happen and how you think you'll be treated isn't what really happens. Then we try to help companies to figure out how to close that gap and, you know, win over the hearts of people. So. Okay. Does that so, make sense? Do you, yes, your mom will get, that, she'll understand that. Explanation? I think and, and okay. Pridge is like, I didn't know either. So she's hopefully Pridge can tune in or uh, let us know, but I think that makes sense. So, but then what do you do? Cause, okay. So one, you didn't think you would be going in house. That was really never, but there was something different about this particular thing, but I also want to kind of, and this wasn't on the sheet and we have a very tight time frame because his power is going to go out at one thirty um, mountain time. So this will be the, the fastest, most on design recharge I've ever done. Okay. So, and Jason's like, we're going to have to end it an yeah. hour, Diane. He texted me <laughs> yeah. earlier. I was like, I got it. Okay. So how, how did you know that other places, uh, Tunnel Bravo, Hook, uh, Kitchen Sink, how did you know that those were places that were good fits? And how did you know that Qualtrics was also? Because it's very yeah. different. But yeah. So really good question. And kind of interesting, like the way that I approached uh, my initial just job searches was to find companies that were essentially like doing the best work. And the way that I found that was to look and see locally if they were winning the award shows. And I know a lot of people have different opinions on award shows, but I think that if you're winning shows to some degree, you have a high level of quality and you that's what you hold yourself to. And it was interesting because when I when I was looking for jobs in Arizona, I didn't know the agencies there. I didn't know the, the creative scene at all. So I went and looked at who had won the Addy Awards, um, you know, the year previously, just because I thought, okay, well, whoever's winning the awards there, I want to be associated with them, even if I just know them personally, because I want to be around people that are kind of pushing the envelope. And Tunnel Bravo had sort of cleaned house that year. And they won, you know, I don't know, an insane amount of awards, like 25 awards or something. 
And I thought, oh, well, that, that, and I first thought like, that's a, probably a big agency because that's a lot of awards. And then I showed up, I actually contacted them and I said, hey, I'm going to be in Arizona. I just want to drop by and introduce myself. I wasn't looking for a job uh, at the time. I uh, just wanted to talk to them and just get to know them. And so I went and met with them. And, you know, a lot of those things are just more of like a personal relationship. Do you hit it off with them? Do they have, you know, common, you know, kind of interests and that type of thing. But ultimately, it just came down to the quality of work and trying to be around people who I thought were doing really good work that I could learn from. And at the end of the day, I think that was really kind of it. And then it was sort of like just backed up by that personal relationship. The work is there and uh, we get along well. So I think we could do some cool stuff, you know. I love that you came into it was like, I could learn from them. I have stuff to give, but I could also you know, they can rub some stuff off of me and I can rub some stuff off of them. Right. And I think that in, in any job, if you, if you go in thinking I'm going to teach them or I'm going to, or it's all going to be me taking what I can learn. Right. That I think that there is, um, especially later in our career, but also early in our career, if there's always something that a junior can add and there's always something that a junior can learn from. There's something that a senior can learn from a junior. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's yeah. always that in there. And I think some of that has to do with attitude and that you get um, when you're in a conversation, you know, it, do you get along? But it was quality, quality. You were winning awards. They were winning awards. It didn't matter that how many, right? But it was like, oh, and you. it was that, hey, they're doing, they're winning awards that are pushing the the way people are thinking they're being clever and that i think was another thing that i've always seen in your work even when it's a one-off which we're going to get to in a minute yeah but but in these life changes i mean you had talked about this before you were like i never thought i would go in-house what was the thought of going in-house and then how was that like myth busted yeah so my perception of in-house was pretty similar i think to a lot of creatives which is that at least the going perception for a long time was that people that are in-house couldn't hack it at an agency. And so now whether that's true or not, I mean, totally up for debate and there's different levels of agencies, different levels of in-house, everything across the board. I mean, someone would agree that if you're in-house at a place like, uh, you know, Nike, you're probably top of the game, right? But in-house at other places, you might feel differently about it. So my own perception was just that if you were in-house, you could have gone there for a couple of reasons. One, maybe just you like the better work-life balance. But because, usually you know, it does, right? It has a better work-life balance when you're yeah, in Yeah, no, it actually, leave it and five, I can't say right? across the board, but I know for sure, I think it's a little better because some agency environments are just insane, you know? Like they want you to live at the agency and that's kind of the lifestyle. And I think that's why there's a lot of turnover at some of the bigger shops. So work-life balance is one. But I kind of had a perception that if I if I went in-house that, um, you know, there could be a couple of problems. Like one, maybe the the challenges creatively wouldn't be there. There wouldn't be the variety. And I sort of thrived on that variety a lot because at being in small shops, I mean, even different than like a large ad, ad agency, I wasn't assigned to two or three clients. I kind of worked on a little bit of everything. So if a company came through, there was a chance that at some point I was going to help at least a little bit, even if I wasn't the lead designer or the lead art director or creator. And so for me, I kind of viewed it as, oh man, am I going to get stuck in a box and painted in a corner and then have to do just online ads all the time, which I didn't right. want to do. So right. 
so there was kind of that part of it too. And then, you know, just generally, I think there's a, a kind of a feeling too, that if you go in-house, like you're not going to create work that's sort of like groundbreaking, right? You're going to create work that's sort of like just helps drive the marketing department, but it's not going to make an impact on your fellow designers or, you know, like award shows or like any of that kind of stuff. You're just going to kind of be more vanilla than anything. And so that was kind of the overall perception, but it was interesting because I started to notice um, right around the time when, when I was getting kind of offers to come and work at Qualtrics, there were other designers that I knew that were really good creatives that had also gone in-house and, and that was unusual because I didn't, up until that point, I didn't know a lot of creatives that had gone in-house and these were like different companies, you know, um, different types. Some were tech companies and some were, you know, even like healthcare and things like that. So I started to kind of wonder like, well, what's the appeal and why are so many people that I know leaving sort of the agency environment to go in-house? And how that long, kind of how long of a time frame was this? So, so you're at Kitchen Sink and you're in Arizona. When did you start looking and then... When did you start looking in for in or was this really one of the only in-house places you were looking at? Well, yeah. So the backstory is a little bit different. So um, to kind of give you a little bit of the lay of the land. So when I was at Tunnel Bravo, we had done work for Qualtrics for quite a few years, like even before I was at, at Tunnel Bravo. They were just one-off projects. Like they'd come and say, hey, we need a print campaign or we need some type of a broadcast spot or or a web update or things like that. So the relationship was there. But then eventually what happened was the, the CEO of Qualtrics brought the two co-founders of the agency, the two co-owners to the company and said, hey, I want to build an in-house team. So essentially, I want to buy your agency and bring you guys in-house to build the team. So at the time, there were only three of us working at Tunnel Bravo. So those two you know, came to me and just let me know, like, this is what we're doing. We're going to go and build this in-house agency. And I ended up staying in Arizona for another year. And that's that year when I was at Kitchen Sink Studios. So during that time period, uh, the two of them would come back to me, I don't know, every so often and just say, hey, are you interested in coming and being a part of our team in-house? And I kind of kept telling them the same thing, like, no, I'm not really that interested. Because at the time, like things were going really well at Kitchen Sink. I was more or less running the design department. So, you know, there were not a lot of us in there, but there were like five designers. And so I was kind of like sort of an associate creative director kind of running that, that team. Um, really liked what we were doing. You know, we were having success. The agency was growing. I mean, things were just moving forward. At the time, they were talking about even opening up other branches of the agency and saying like, hey, you could go head up, you know, one of these branches. And I was like, well, yeah, that's cool. I mean, that'd be great, you know? So the decision to actually consider going in-house was, it was kind of a long consideration process. Like it took a while. And I even knew the guys trying to, you know, I'd worked with them for years. So like you can tell that it took a lot of like conversations and a lot of thinking, and a lot of considering before I kind of made that, that commitment and went down that path. But you were, it, it, it's a mindset to some extent. So in, in your head, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be giving up creativity or it's going to be vanilla or it's just going to be the same thing. And you really didn't have an idea of what it maybe was going to be like, even if they were talking to you, because there's still this, even if it's untrue, it's just this other idea of what, what this, what you had heard from other people or what you had 
other people's experiences, maybe not at Qualtrics, but at other places. So, um, so when they finally got you up there, you are interviewing and then what was like, oh my goodness, I've been wrong this whole time. Like I should have gone or what was it that like turned it for you? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. You know, I, I knew the quality of work would be really high because I had worked with both Stuart and John for a long time. So I knew if they were fully invested and were on board that whatever team they were building and whatever they were doing was going to was going to follow the same path that they had followed at their agency. So that was really reassuring for me. And then they talked about some of the stuff the company was doing, like getting into these really big annual events and the kinds of things they were able to do, at, you know, create for these events. And then even being able to do stories about certain clients like, you know, Under Armour or Adidas or, you know, JetBlue or whoever, they were able to do these stories and kind of have a closer relationship with these brands too. And so, but ultimately what it came down to was I, I just told them like, you're going to have to make me an offer I can't say no to. So, <laughs> I mean, I just figured like, you know, if I'm going to go down kind of this, this new path that I haven't been down before, I need to make sure that it's going to be the right decision, not just for me, but for my family. Cause I have four boys. Um, so, you know, my wife and four boys, and we were going to be moving to a different state and just kind of like starting over again, essentially. And so that was kind of the, the turning point. And they came back and gave me an option. And it was, it was something that was pretty awesome. And I was like, okay, well, you know, let's make this happen. So you and doc need to be friends. Cause he has four girls. So, Oh yeah. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, so, but it's, uh, you should be friends, not just cause you have different, uh, it, but you should be friends because it's hard to raise four of, I'm sure the same, you know, like it's a lot of kids, but it's just it's hard. hard. Yeah, It'll hard. not many people have that many. My mom's one of 11. So that's not oh, yeah. that many, you know, <laughs> yet. Uh, Okay, so one of the things that you I've seen, what I saw a guitar in communication arts, and I of course like look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then I see it's you. I see it's your stuff, and I'm like, oh, I gotta call Jason. So how are you able? Because there is a lot of experience. So there's the 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 conferences, but then there's also experience design that you're doing for these companies in in their facilities, you're creating these environments, maybe not as much so much now. I don't know. You'll have to let us know. But what kind of custom projects have you been doing? Because again, this is the stuff I think that when Amy talks to me about stuff that she's doing, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're getting to do this. And when you are showing me this stuff, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're getting to do this. This is so cool. So yeah. Um, so the custom projects kind of vary. They're all over the board, but the guitar you're talking about is an award that we created. It's called the Breakthrough Artist Award. And basically we were just tasked with coming up with something that would be super rad that people would love to keep, would never get rid of and would not be like any other award out there. And so we, we ended up getting these electric guitars and then we were fortunate because we partnered with Kevin Cantrell who did the incredible artwork and then Big Secret, who did all the laser etching. So that was the team. If you if you remember the Nike bat from several years ago, I mean, I think every designer would probably remember that thing. Uh, we kind of wanted to create a version of that, something that felt as special and unique as that. And so we actually got to work with the same team that did that. And so 
the the Breakthrough Artist Award was really great. We've been going on that for three years and it just keeps kind of like evolving. Um, and what that does is it, it kind of recognizes clients that we have that use our separate products and do something kind of unique and memorable with that product for that year. So like last year, the overall winner was Disney. Some of the other winners in the past have been like Volkswagen, American Express, uh, those, you know, like pretty big names, these like pretty big, big companies. Brands. Re- these are really big, but it takes the kind of thinker that you were. It's still how big is the team for you that you're you on? Mean, you mean like the creative team overall? Yeah. Uh, well, we kind of have two creative teams. So our team is mostly more of like designers, copywriters, art directors. But our team, I think we have around 12 to 13 people on our team. And then we also have an in-house creative team, which is more of a film-focused team. So they've got, you know, um, motion graphics specialists. They've got editors. Uh, they also have copywriters, art directors, that kind of thing. But they focus more on the, the broadcast portion of what we do. And I think that team probably has around 10 or 12 people as well. So It's not that many, though. So you're still able to put your hands in a lot of things. You're still able to push. I don't know. You have a deck, so I don't uh, want to if you want to show some stuff you can or we sure. can we okay show us walk us yeah, through, we can some reel through some stuff here okay uh, hold on let me yeah let me pull this up okay cool everyone can see all right yes good deal okay so i just categorize these a little bit by sort of areas that we focus on as a creative team as a design team one of the big things that we do is we help with all the facility branding for our offices worldwide so we have offices everywhere from like Dublin to Sydney, um, Chicago, Seattle, Provo, Dallas, um, Krakow, Poland. What's that? Did you say Chicago? What didn't you have some, maybe did something else in Chicago? Yeah, we do. We actually have a Chicago office. It's a little more focused on like a sales, but yeah, Mm -hmm. Chicago's growing pretty fast. And so what they do is when we have a new office or when we're updating an office, they'll have us come in and work with a lot of the interior designers and the architects and lots of different uh, artists and vendors. And then we kind of create these spaces. So part of the, the process is that we want the spaces to feel like the company, but they also need to have kind of their own personality. And so this is where I think our background, like we talked about earlier in like restaurant branding and, and kind of boutique branding comes into play. And so we'll try to create, um, so you're looking at like Dermot's there. Dermot's is in our Dublin office. And it was act, it's a pub, but it was actually named for the former head of that office who, um, unfortunately, he passed away from cancer, I think about four, three or four years ago. And as a tribute to him, the team wanted to name a, a location in the building after him um, in his memory. And so we did all the branding and everything, and we have a really beautiful portrait of him hanging in there that's uh, just a reminder that his family actually came to the opening and they they hung the portrait up as sort of like a you know, kind of a, a memorial, like a tribute to him, which is really cool. And um, some of these others you see in here are just from different areas. Like on the left, that's from Dallas. It's a place called Republic. The bottom middle is from Seattle. And that's a little place called North and Co. And then the right, the bottom right is one from Chicago. It's called the Windy Bear Coffee Company. So uh, I'll just so kind were of- Were these all here. kind of internal brands that you did for- the Qualtrics locations. So that's really cool. So such a, you're, they don't just, it's not just Qualtrics in, in Dublin, Qualtrics in Seattle, you know, like they're, they're, you're pulling something 
anyway, I just think that that's a different way of looking at it as well. So I just love this stuff. Yeah. So you're right to answer your question. Yeah. They're not. So when we brand these, because they're an internal experience that people have, we don't really, I mean, sometimes we'll tie the logo. You can see under Dermot's, it says Qualtrics Dublin, right? So we do have like some t-shirts or things like that. And actually one of the traditions in Dublin is clients will come in and they pull a pint, which is they pull a pint of beer, right? And they have these custom glasses. And then what the team locally does is they'll send the glass to the, the home of the new client with like a shirt and a couple of like a handwritten note and a couple of things like that, just as sort of like a little memento of like this kind of new relationship starting. So, but yeah, none of these other than that really have any tie into the brand, even color wise, you know, like sometimes we branch out because gold is not one of our, our brand colors, right? Uh, we don't gold leaf a lot of things, but it was appropriate for the pub. So it ended up being a, a really good fit for Dublin. Love it. So here I'll reel through and kind of show you a few others here that, that, that we've got. So you can kind of see some of the other locations. Okay. So this is going to be the upper left, the wool shed. That's one of our newer ones in the Sydney office. And it was kind of cool because the name was proposed by the local team. And of course, Australia has a really uh, well-known history with the wool, you know, just wool and raising sheep and that kind of thing. So we thought, oh, let's embrace that because if it's proposed by the team, then they're going to really love it and it'll resonate with them. Um, bottom left again is Chicago. That's um, kind of a, a flag banner that we have on sort of the outside of that little coffee area. And then the bottom right is a large conference room area in Seattle that's called the Sound Garden. Um, you know, because of the history of the city. And so we tried to bring in all of these speakers uh, to kind of just give it more of an architectural element. And oh, wow. we've kind of, yeah, we've kind of moved in that direction a little bit. Some of them are more architectural than they are just graphic design. Again, you're able to have some fun. It's pushing you as a artist, as a designer, right? Which I love, which I think is fits you because you're continually growing. Doc has a question, but I have a question first. Where when when they're like in the Sydney one, when do they bring you in? When do they bring the designers in not, uh, with the architects and the, like how much was already built? How much was already decided when when you're then deciding to do wool shed or y'all are choosing that? And like, is that really cohesive between the interior designers, the architects? Yeah, it's it's for sure a team effort. So we try to come in really early on these projects just to get a lay of the space, an understanding of even what the local team wants, because, you know, we'll talk to the leaders of the local team and they'll, again, like send out surveys to their, their team members and say, what kind of things do you want in the office? You know, do you want more social spaces? Do you need more conference rooms? You know, do you need uh, just a little bit more area where you can connect with people in just passing by and having a little bit more of this like organic um, conversation type moment that you can, you know, appreciate in an office setting. And we also have open office spaces. So like no one has individual offices. It's not closed off. It's all very open, which is also the reason we try to create these sort of little getaways where people can go to congregate. So they don't necessarily have to talk at a desk because it, you know, it might be, um, you know, something hard for the, the people sitting around them to focus or whatnot, if they have everyone gathering there. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty early in the phase. And then, of course, we work with architects, typically like a local architecture team, an interior designer, and we just kind of um, work like a normal creative team would. You know, they give some input, we give some input, 
we find out what they want. We kind of suggest what we think will work. And then, you know, it ends up sometimes being just such a, a cool process and we owe a lot of like what the wool shed there looks like to the local team because they were just amazing. You know, we weren't able to travel to Sydney. And so when you're designing something from that far away and trying to really be like particular about every little placement of, of you know, design and art and everything, that's a huge challenge when you're doing that from, you know, halfway across the world. And so we rely a lot on those local um, kind of um, professionals to make sure that that happens, which has worked out really well for us. Okay. So wait, we got to get three questions now from the audience. So uh, Doc says, how do you balance the individual location designs from the parent brand of Qualtrics? Are there standards, are there standards to open for grab, open for grabs or to buy, to have buy-in from the employees like with Woolshed or are they, are there some things that are really limiting that you have to incorporate? Yeah, it kind of depends. And again, it's sort of like a, it's sort of a case by case thing with us. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the local teams will come to us with a name, which happened with the wool shed. Um, But for instance, like when we worked on uh, the one in Dallas, which is called Republic, what we did as a creative team is we came up with several identity ideas and we presented those to the office manager. And then, you know, she reviewed those and then shared those with other people in the office. And then we got buy-off from them on what they wanted to move forward with. Um, it's pretty balance- open. It's pretty open for you to kind of take it and Qualtrics is there, but like how much has to be the Qualtrics brand like colors or. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That's like, a, that's a good question. And um, we always kind of have to figure that out based on what offices wear. So you kind of have to think of it almost as like first impressions, right? Your first impressions when you come in, it clearly has to be the Qualtrics brand because at the end of the day, like these offices are meant to help as we're trying to um, kind of find clients and work with them. And so they need to understand when they come to an office that it's the Qualtrics brand first and foremost. So for instance, in Sydney, when you walk in like the lobby area and everything there is going to be more of our traditional branding, right? Like our colors, our logo, um, those kinds of things when you come in. But as you get a little further into the office, we have a little more leeway to branch out and to say, okay, you know, we're going to do a really cool neon sign here, or we're going to do a really cool mural and we're going to hire an artist to come and do this. And so it kind of just mixes together as sort of like a really cool collage of things. But But, but there are consistencies. So like the consistent things you'll find in our offices and you notice in here, like, see how the floor is like that exposed um, concrete. Mm-hmm. So we call, we call this look, I mean, it's sort of like a term that one of our um, interior or our architects came up with, but it's called industrial minimalist. And what we mean by that is like, it's got an industrial feel to it, but it's not, um, it's not so over the top that it feels like you're in like a really kind of, um, kind of cold and, and sort of like heartless place, right? Like some of these big industrial places. So some of the elements that tie us together, are like exposed ceilings, like you'll notice in there, we expose like the ceilings and that kind of thing. We have um, obviously like colors. So a lot of the offices are quite white or we use concrete a lot. And we try to do the same thing by having like black doors, black moldings uh, around the offices. You can see all three of those are the same thing. Like they've got those, those black frames. Yeah. And then we offset that with white walls. So it kind of then allows us to have um, 
ability to, to infuse color and a lot of design into the areas that are meant for that. So that, so that they don't clash. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is this something like, okay, so say Under Armour comes to y'all and they're like, we need to change up our internal facility and we love what y'all have done. Can you, do you ever do something like that for somebody like that? No, we've never, we're not like a for hire for other, you know, companies to come in. I, I can't say that we would never do that, but right now, honestly, like we're so busy just trying to update our own offices and facilities that we yeah. can hardly keep up with, uh, you know, our own offices that are opening. And so uh, it would be an, it would be an amazing opportunity and a cool challenge to be able to do that. But how much, so how, how anyway, much hopefully that answers Doc's question that there's, there is some consistency. So if you were to walk into the, the, I would say the lobby or the the front area of these um, these buildings, you would feel like, oh, okay, this feels like Qualtrics to me. But as you get further in, you're going to discover just sort of these little fun moments um, that are experiences that are unique to Chicago or Dallas or wherever you may be. But the people who work there would be experiencing those, not necessarily their, uh, the clients would go into those spaces always, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So- so Paul has a question is it's in-house, but really still an agency, isn't it in-house agency? And so explain that because I think what Qualtrics does is um, overall is different, but what you're able to do in this, does that make sense? Can you answer that without me trying to butcher it? Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, and I understand obviously like it has the same qualities as an agency. Now I think the reason that we have that is because, the leadership in the company believes in design and they believe in the creative team. And I think that's the same thing that you're going to find at an agency. If your client believes in you and they have trust in you, typically you're able to do a lot better work than if someone comes in and they give you a laundry list and just want to micromanage everything you're doing. And so we've been fortunate that the, you know, the leadership in the company has seen that design can be a competitive advantage. And that design is, is not only powerful when we're trying to get clients and as a brand, but also internally for just the overall well-being of employees. And when employees are proud of the place they work and they go in there and they're excited about it, then they're probably going to do better work and they're going to want to be at work. So I love that. Okay. So Jeremy has a question too. He says he thinks that he works for the YMCA in Charlotte. And he says, I think we've worked with Qualtrics. So you probably have. Um, It says, what are your tips for someone who's also an in-house designer to not get burned out by the repetitive work? Yeah, good question for sure. Because I've, I've sort of experienced this on both ends. Like there's times when I've been in agencies and you feel like, man, I can't do another collateral set. I'm just going to, I'm going to pull my hair out. Like I just can't do another business card. So I think that struggle is real no matter where you're at. A couple of things that I would suggest, like, I mean, for me personally, there's kind of two ways to do this. One is like trying to find opportunities at work to do something that you think one will make a difference and two that will creatively um, kind of fulfill you. And sometimes, and again, Qualtrics has been really good at this. Like if, if I see something that I think, oh, this would be a good opportunity, I can go to, you know, one of the upper level people and propose it. And typically they're pretty supportive of that stuff. So 
that's, that's kind of one way. And then the other way that I find too, is like, sometimes you just have to have, I think, personal projects. And even if it's just like for fun to push yourself or just to create something interesting, I feel like you need those no matter where you're working. And that applied when I was at agencies that applies now. I think that'll apply forever where there's times where I just think, yeah, you know what? I've done a lot of these, you know, whatever it is, like one pagers or something. I just really need to be able to create something super cool that I'm proud of. And so maybe I'll go do something really rad, like, uh, you know, make a really cool logo for my boys or something, you know, which, which I actually have done. So, um, and I know it can be hard in some work environments, but I would say just try to find opportunities and even sometimes looking around and talking with your, your, your management and say, Hey, this is a cool chance. And I have the, the skill set to do this. Will you let me do it? No, I love that. Okay. You want to tell us anything on this page? Okay. Yeah. So a couple, couple of fun things on here. The upper left is actually brand new. This is a kind of a wall piece that we created for our office in Krakow, Poland. So that's Are they big skateboarders or the snowboards? Um, they're skateboard decks. Mm-hmm. Um, skating, as you can see below, is sort of like a cultural thing in the company because we have concrete floors. We skate all over the place. And so in Poland, the team came to us and said, we want a, a kind of like a skate park themed area, like a really rad, you know, sort of like a cool Tony Hawk kind of area. Yeah. And so we each designer was assigned a deck and we all designed those. So that's that represents the entire design team right there. And then those are going to be mounted on the wall. And then there's going to be, you know, exposed like um, kind of ramp. Oh, it's not going to be an actual ramp. It's going to look like a ramp, but you know what I mean? It's going to be like OSB and it'll be a seating area when you come into one of the. Um, I don't know what OSB means. It's kind of like particle board, you know, okay. kind of like um, if you've seen a skate deck or a skate ramp, you know what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It'll look like that. So anyway, that was a fun one. The upper right is from the Chicago office. And you can see that we hired a muralist to do those really awesome portraits of characters that are just from Chicago films. And then we called that area, the screening room. So it's all about Chicago film history. And, um, you know, we had some like posters that we bought from a lot of different artists that are also about films in Chicago. Uh, the lower left is a wheat paste wall that that particular one is in Chicago, but it's become one of the, I guess, sort of like uh, trademarks that we have as a team where when we go into an office, we like to do a wall and we do what's called wheat paste, which is sort of like street art. If you're familiar with Shepard Ferry, um, mm. you know, or Banksy or any of those people, like they use that technique a lot where it's super cheap. You get like the cheapest paper you could possibly find. It's super thin. And then you basically put like glue over it and it just adheres to the wall which is really cool. It has an awesome look, but then if we ever need to change it, we can just put posters right over it, which is cool too. So that's awesome. Yeah. And kind of fun to note that like, if you look at those, like there's some specific ones in there, just Chicago, like the lower one is the Chicago flag with the four stars. And then there's of course the L that you see in there, but then some of the posters are just more Qualtrics specific. So that's also a way that we try to mix the local uh, kind of the local scene with like the corporate branding And that's, of course, done in like our corporate colors. But so whenever either like in Dallas or, you know, over in Dublin or whatever, we have these types of walls, but they're all specific to that location in some degree with what we design. So uh, and then lower right, that's sort of a kind of a close up shot of a I guess it's sort of the, the signage for the Republic down in our Dallas office. 
And, um, you know, obviously very geometric. Um, that was done by Big Secret as well. They're great to partner with and uh, just kind of a fun space in there. That's awesome. All right. We're getting tied on our time. So you got to go because yeah, I want to see tied this on stuff. Time, I know. You got to get the guitar out there. So another another aspect that we do a lot of is events at the company. And by events, I mean both like internal events. So every year we host like a really formal uh, kind of a holiday party. And theme? the upper, is it the upper left, what's theme that? Theme every time? Is it a different theme every time? Yeah, it's a different theme. And we work with the internal team to figure out what that theme is and, you know, kind of what they want us to brand. So the upper left and then the far right, those are both from internal events over the years. Uh, one and of that them looks was, like custom printed and that, uh, I don't know if it's a emboss or something at the bottom. It is, yeah. So that's a blind emboss on the bottom of the Casino Royale. And then the upper left, that's, uh, you know, a gold foil that's on there that we did. And so those are really fun because we're able to use a lot of really cool techniques like embossing, foiling, letter pressing. I mean, any of that kind of fun stuff we get to kind of pull out for the holiday party, which is awesome. Hey, Jason um, Karn just said, um, he told me, he's like, hey, that's my font, the um, Motor City font. He made that font and you use it. Oh, yeah, it. it is. Yeah. The bottom left. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, y'all so have already collaborated. I want y'all to be friends. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. So the Motor City font worked perfect for that. That bottom one was from one of our large annual events. And those are actually two huge digital monitors. I know it's kind of hard to tell what you're looking at. Oh, yeah, yeah. But those are massive digital monitors. And there was another one to the left of where it says welcome reception. So it was this just huge stage that was in the kind of this ballroom area uh, that we had. And that was probably, see, that was like four years ago that we did that one. So uh, how so has... How has stuff like this, and maybe you could talk about this as you keep going, how has this environment challenged you and how has it fed you in ways that you weren't expecting? Uh, yeah, so I, I wrote down quite a few answers to this. I'll try to just touch on a few of them. So obviously the, the ways that it's given me opportunity is just being able to branch into areas that I normally haven't branched into. And some of those include like we have our film team and I've had the chance to go and basically run some of these, these photo shoots, like these um, broadcast spots that they've done, which I had never done that in an agency. And so there's been opportunities to, to grow that way. And then also like just through the types of things that we do as a company. So we've talked about a lot of these, these big annual events that we do. And when we host those, it takes the entire creative team probably three months straight just to get ready for that. And we're talking like we, we stop all other jobs that come in and we focus solely on what's called now it's called X4. And we, we basically just work on that nonstop for those three or four months to get everything ready. And this is an event where we host around, you know, 14,000 people on location and we do everything from like main stage to uh, well, the bottom left, you're looking at the welcome reception. That's a huge party for that event. And then we also create these sort of like um, pop-up experiences for brands. So we'll do it for things like Burton, Spotify, Delta, Yamaha, like all these companies where we're working to create sort of like a little mini um, Spotify experience. Like what would that experience be? At this event. At the event. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's sort of like a, if you, if you go to any of these, like, I don't know, like trade shows or things like that. You go inside, you know, Burton has their setup. That's kind of what it is. Like when you go to Burton, what does Burton feel like? 
you know, you got their product there, but like, what's the vibe of Burton? And we try to really, um, try to really hone in on that vibe to make people have, again, like this experience of what that company is. And so that's kind of a fun challenge. Uh, so I could talk a little bit about like some of the, I guess, some of the challenges that you have in-house, which I think are challenges at an agency too, but brand consistency is extremely hard, especially because, you know, when you get a company that's so large and you're trying to make sure that people are using, you know, the right colors, the right fonts, the right imagery all across the world, like that's extremely hard. Another challenge that we have that I feel like um, comes up a lot is, sort of this back and forth with marketing between quantity over quality. And that, you know, kind of goes through seasons. Sometimes it's better than others, but sometimes it feels like they just want quantity, like lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff going out. And we're like, let's just make it better. Let's do less and make it nice and make it meaningful and impactful. And this and is then, outward facing. This is like the customer facing stuff, or is this the internal stuff? Or both. Well, more so like outward facing, because obviously you're trying to have a consistent brand. So when, mm -hmm. when someone experiences, they, they think, oh, yeah, this is clearly Under Armour or this is clearly Qualtrics or whoever it is, you know. So that's kind of hard to be the kind of the shepherd of the brand a lot of times, because mm -hmm. you'll have someone in a department like a sales team that'll go do their complete different thing. And then you're like, well, this isn't our brand at all. Right. And then you got to kind of educate them on what's the brand? How do we make it consistent? And like. Why is that important? Uh, which kind of led me into my other point. Um, a lot of times you might run into people internally that don't know or don't appreciate good design, right? And so that can be challenging because again, you have to sort of go through this education process of, of really getting them to buy in on like, well, why would I invest money into this? Like, why would I do this specific thing? Why would I do this? And when you get people to buy in, it's great. Like it's really rewarding, but sometimes you have those challenges, those tug of wars. And it's like, I'm not going to win this war. You know, I'm just, right. <laughs> and you can't win all of them. Like this is reality, but um, here, I'll just reel through here and I can show you a couple other things real quick. Uh, a few other event type things. So I had mentioned that we do parties both in the winter and then we also do summer ones. So this summer we did this one called the eat and greet. Uh, which basically was just an opportunity for people to come to the office because they've been working at home for so long. And it was a chance for a lot of teams to actually meet their team members in person, which a lot of them hadn't. And so uh, that was, you know, a poster that was created for that, that went out to the different offices because those events were held locally. Uh, Upper Ride was again, um, an event that we did for one of our, our big annual conferences and then the lower ride I shared, and that was kind of interesting. So we've done this thing called the warehouse party. And we do that as a part of like our X4 events. But it's a chance for us to kind of do something, you know, kind of interesting where we bring in like Tony Hawk and he has his whole team and they actually do a skate demo. And then that wall right there I designed and it's like a 150 foot long wall. But then we just let all the attendees take paint and just paint whenever they wanted all over it. So it was kind of fun. We like that event to be really interactive and something that will be memorable. And then we followed up that, that event with a concert by Imagine Dragons that year. So it's kind of, again, it is like a big warehouse party, just a fun thing that's, we try to kind of like go down this line of corporate, but not corporate where, you know what I mean? Like if you've been to corporate events, you kind of know, like there's certain things you sort of expect and certain things you don't. 
And we try to kind of push it a little bit in the area of what you don't expect um, so that it doesn't kind of fall into, again, like a vanilla sort of category, right? And let's see, I think I got, this is the one you've been waiting for. Yes. Yeah. The, the guitar. So here's a couple of examples of the, the case for the guitar uh, upper left that we send them in. And we try to customize those with the actual winner. So that obviously that one was for Sony. And then the guitar itself on the right, you can see, uh, you know, obviously credit goes to Kevin and Big Secret, but it's just beautiful, man. I mean, they, they really killed it on that thing. And we're kind of hoping that it just becomes sort of like a, an icon, you know, that people would want to have one and, and keep it. And so that's been really a fun process to go through. A couple other things on there. Uh, the middle one you can see is branding that we did internally for our film team. And we wanted to give them an identity and just, you know, kind of something to wear when they were on set. And so I got to partner with another designer on creating that. And uh, again, something you wouldn't probably expect for in-house, but like we talked about earlier, if you look for opportunities to do something, sometimes that'll present itself and say, oh, I'm going to brand this team or I'm going to you know, create this really cool piece of art for our office or something. Uh, and then bottom left is just a one piece from a campaign that I helped on earlier this summer uh, when we were doing sort of a social media, I guess, sort of celebration of Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. So you can see it kind of spans the gamut. I mean, there's a lot of different things that are there, uh, which make it fun for the variety part. So was there already an award that was Breakthrough Artists and then now you created that or was that a new thing? And now it's was so um, enjoyed. Y'all repeated it. No, it was new. So that was something that we concepted and came up with. And the initial award was given out the first year, I think, was 2019. And so we're up to the third year and then it just sort of keeps evolving every year where we keep adding new things to it. I mean, it's been the guitar the entire time but the cases were added in 2020 because we couldn't give them out in person to people. Right. And we had to actually ship them to the, the winning teams. And one of them had to be shipped all the way to Australia and we needed a way to keep it safe. So we ended up bringing the cases in as sort of like, and now it's kind of an unboxing experience where you go in and you open it up and there's a, the guitar, there's a custom strap, depending on the award that you win. There's a letterpress um, congratulations card that's in there. So it's, it's become this moment where people get it and can kind of uh, discover these fun little things that come along with the award, which, which is cool. So. For sure. Okay. So one of the things I keep hearing is that you're doing all the stuff that doesn't, it isn't typical. And some of it is just having people that are um, above you that really appreciate and can, um, that they want you to push and they want you to give those ideas. I think sometimes we get held back. We hold back because we think no, they're never going to do this crazy idea. But sometimes when you work in house, there's a little bit more money to do something like that and a little bit more time to do something like that. So it's really about what that end result will be for that customer, for the customer that's coming, the experience. And it's just about, I guess we'll always have those marketing struggles or struggles with the sales team or the marketing team that needs it yesterday. And it was 30 pages or something. Right. Um, but we just have to keep, keep trying and keep trying to make a difference. And it seems like you've been able to find a way here. Maybe they were already doing it and you've been able to add your, your flavor in. Um, but also 
it's been so collaborative. Is that, do you think those are true statements? Yeah, I think so. It, and you're right, there's trade-offs and I can't say that my agency experience or my in-house experience were perfect all the time. I think that, you know, every creative kind of goes through those ups and downs and that's just part of the nature. And that's like every professional, it's not just us. I mean, everyone deals with that. So I would say that at least when I, I think about this, I think back to my very first creative director and he used to always say that they're straight or great projects. And what he meant by that was straight projects are ones that you, you it's kind of like you said, your bread and butter, you, you have to get them done. They're important, but you don't have the time to create, you know, like a Van Gogh, like you're just not going to do it. And so sometimes you have, um, you have to kind of just buckle down and get stuff done quickly and you still want it to be at a high level, but you just have to realize that you can't make every project like, you know, your, your golden child. It's not going to, it can't work. So I think it's important to sort of identify where those great opportunities are and where the straight opportunities are, and then try to carve out the great ones and dedicate a little bit more time. And sometimes you're going to probably agree with this. That means doing it after hours, right? I mean, you're not on the clock. If you want something to be really great and you want to put the time into it, then I would say, go home, do it over the weekend, do whatever you got to do to make it good. Don't just say it has to be on my actual like nine to five or whatever your, your schedule is. Because I think if you have that mentality for everything you do, you're probably not going to reach the potential that maybe you could have. Uh, so that's always been helpful to me, you know, to kind of think about it that way and to realize that you just have to let some of them go and they can be good, but they're not going to be incredible. I love that. I know we're almost out of time or you're about to lose the internet or the power or whatever, but I, Doc had a question. If you can answer it, great. How do you, how do you prove return on investment to continue doing those experiences? How would first, how would you tell Doc to like pitch it to someone? I mean, is it, is sometimes it's just, we got to try or. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of wondering if, if he's talking about the experiences, maybe he's talking a little bit about, I don't know if it's the ones that are in the company. So like the locations that we create, or if he's talking more about like the um, events that we do. He does events too at his company. Um, I'm not sure either. Can you, how about if you were like saying, Hey, we're going to do this, the warehouse party. This is different. This is part of an event we already do. How do you, how do you, how do you pitch that? Or how do you prove the return on investment? Yeah. So that's an interesting one. Well, I do know for our larger events, so like X4 and things like that that we do, I know that the teams involved with those are usually really able to hone in on the return that they get after. So like how many contacts they get, you know, what kind of what, I mean, there's a lot of marketing speak here, but a lot of pipeline that they get, like the leads that they have or the sales that they're able to close and things like that. So when it comes to the bigger events, I think there is a little bit more of a measurable aspect to it. And I know that usually when we do like a post event, they'll come back to the company and say, hey, this is what happened. This is what went well. This is what we can improve on. Like, you know, kind of all those like post event type things. But they usually will come back with numbers and let us know specifically. Now, I'm not definitely in the trenches, like figuring out what those numbers are. But I think that they see that there's an investment and a, a definite return. And so that they're investing more in that every time and making those events bigger and more prominent. And we've been spreading those events too. Like we actually hold them in Sydney and London as well. And so over the years, they've gotten bigger and bigger. And that just must be because they're seeing a return on that. 
Um, in regards to the in-house stuff that we do, as far as the offices and the amount of detail and kind of time that we put into that, again, like, I don't know if it's as measurable, but overall, you can tell when people are happy with where they're at in their environment. Yeah, turnover. How much yeah, turn- turnover yeah. do you have? How many people are calling out sick? How, what do they work? Uh, do they feel connected to the other people in the office? I mean, there are some measurable things you can measure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think, and again, like I'm not really a numbers person kind of figuring that out, but they are good questions, you know? And I think if you're in a company and you're wondering if you're getting return on those, a lot of times we've been told, go back to the person you did the job for and ask them, do you have measurable results of all, you know, like I helped you with this huge campaign. What actually came of that campaign? Because a lot of times as a creative, you'll do something and it'll go out there and you'll never hear from that team again. And you don't know what happened. You just have no idea. So sometimes it is, I think it is helpful to go and ask them and say, was it good? Was it bad otherwise? And then you can kind of learn from that. Oh, okay. That worked really well. Like they saw a lot of success. And I think obviously that's rewarding for, for you to know if you put in a lot of time to a project to know that they saw some measurable results from it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have way more questions, but we don't have time. So I want, I want to make sure that everybody has ways to follow you. So on Instagram, it's deuceman77. On Behance Bearded Beauty. On Dribble, it's Jason Johnson. That's pretty good. You got your name on Dribble. That's like, yeah, I know. All the others are all across the board, like no consistency. So, but that's pretty good. And then if you want some of his commercial prints, you can go to Instagram circa 1955 art or on his Etsy shop, etsy.com slash shop slash circa 1955. I got to ask, what's the 1955? Because you are not born in 1955. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of goes back um, a little bit where I, I big Disney fan. I used to be a cast member for a lot of years at Walt Disney World. And I kind of um, attribute like my start in creativity to going to Disneyland when I was a kid. And that was the year it opened. So 1955. Nice. So that's, uh, yeah, that's where that comes from. Well, I'm super inspired. I'm super inspired that you pushed and you continue to learn and grow and collaborate and do things that are different. And you're always trying to one up yourself, but you haven't gotten stuck in the consistency, even though there may be some consistency in your job, you haven't let that be what defines you. And I love that you still push into the other stuff. Jason, we'll just have to do a part two, but I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so glad the power hasn't gone off. And um, (laughs) I, I just appreciate what you have been able to do. And I'm just glad we've been friends for so long. Yeah. Thanks so much. And everyone for questions and listening. Had a great time. Good to talk to you as always, Diane. It's always good. Anyway, I so totally love what you're doing there and, or what Qualtrics is doing and I just can't wait to have you on to finish these questions. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. All right. Well, guys, I am. uh, Yep. Lots of in-house people here are really happy that you were representing. And and I know it is uh, sometimes we it gets a bad rap for sure. And um, just make sure if you're listening or watching all his links are at the very top underneath on YouTube or on my website, or um, or wherever you're getting listening to your podcast. I don't know how those links work. I've never really tried that. I should probably click on that. But I believe next week we have Heather Crank, who does 
I don't think this woman ever sleeps. She is an artist, um, a motion designer. She was in Denver for a long time. Now she's in Bend, Oregon. But she is a huge lifter of other people. And Jason has been a lifter as well. He was that I think that was one of the reasons when we connected in the very beginning was that you were helping so many students and your design work was just incredible. So um, and I think we're all just drooling. I think I wrote that in the thing. Make sure you bring your tissues because you'll need to to drool. But Jason, you just always are pushing and thinking differently. And I I just love talking to you. And you're very humble. And so I always like. And so then maybe you can be friends with Doc and then you can uh, talk about how it is raising raising four kids because it's hard I and doing stuff on the side, you know, like you're always when you have to bring something home because you want it to be better, but it's always pushing into that high quality. So I love yeah. that. Well, Hey, appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. It was. All right. I'm going to hit stop and I will see you guys next week with Heather Crank and, um, holler, send me an email back. If you have a question or a comment.